kingdom business. Have you ever watched someone succeed and wondered, why them, Lord? Look at their life. Why is their work or ministry or relationships flourishing and mine aren't? I think we've all felt that way at one time or another. I know why I have. Let's call it what it is, jealousy. It's defined as hostility toward a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. Feeling envious when someone achieves something that we wished for ourselves, especially if we feel they don't deserve it as much as we do or at all. While none of us really want to admit that we're jealous, we can certainly see that remnants of our attitude or behavior suggest that we are. One psychologist identifies it as a complex and extremely painful emotion, which reflects our own sense of inner insecurity and insufficient sense of self-worth. Sadly, by concentrating on what someone else has that we don't, we stifle our own opportunities for growth and enrichment. Further, it can distort our ability to make wise decisions, disturb our physical and mental health, and destroy our relationships. But it isn't just the world that shows us the error of jealousy. The Bible also teaches that jealousy is wrong. Proverbs instructs us that jealousy is like cancer in the bones. And whereas anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, jealousy is even more dangerous. James writes that jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom, but is unspiritual and demonic, leading to disorder and every kind of evil. Peter tells his churches they are to rid themselves of jealousy and equates it with deceit, hypocrisy, unkind speech, and evil behavior. It was the jealousy of the Pharisees that drove them to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. After the dramatic raising of Lazarus from the dead, the jealousy of the religious leaders kicked into high gear. What are we going to do, they cried to one another. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy our temple and our nation. Caiaphas' solution, it's better for you that one man should die for the people than that for the whole nation to be destroyed. After witnessing the worship of the crowd during Jesus' triumphal entry, the jealousy of the Pharisees was heightened, causing them to fearfully say, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. In the hostility that their jealousy provoked, they pursued every avenue for Jesus' demise. When they finally set him before Pilate, they were surprised when Pilate offered them a choice, Barabbas or Jesus. Why this offer? Because Pilate very knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. He didn't want to destroy an innocent man based upon their petty jealousies, but the mob would not be appeased. And as we now realize, God's justice prevailed, our pardon through his son's sacrificial death. We see jealousy popping up again in a vain attempt to demolish the word of God and the advance of his kingdom in Acts 8. With the miraculous signs and wonders Philip was doing in Samaria as he preached the word of God, many people became believers, including Simon a sorcerer. 
when Peter and John arrived and the Holy Spirit filled believers, Simon was jealous for he saw power he wanted to buy for himself. Peter was aghast. May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought, he said. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you of your evil thoughts, for I can see you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Nor, it seems, was this an isolated incident. Paul writes the Philippians that he's aware some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry and selfish ambition. But Paul is undaunted, despite the difficulty it may bring to his own ministry, saying, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. He was about kingdom business, and his greatest concern was to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wasn't going to let useless feelings of jealousy crab him. He wasn't going to waste his time talking evil about others when he could preach the greatness of Christ. This became especially apparent when others tried to create a competition between himself and Apollos. Apollos was an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, and he was enthusiastically teaching the way of Jesus when Priscilla and Aquila took him under their wing to explain the way of God even more accurately. Apollos went on to be able to bless the believers with the word and even powerfully engaged in public debates with the Jews, explaining to them that Jesus was the Messiah. When he went on to Corinth to preach and evangelize, some there tried to stir up a jealousy between Paul and Apollos, but Paul would have none of it. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul, and others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow G Peter, or I follow only Christ. Paul set them straight. Was I crucified for you? He knew he was sent to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. He wanted to deflect any attention from himself and place it firmly on Christ, the source of their salvation and redemption. Yet he knew that jealousies and quarrels were preventing them from receiving the fullness of life in Christ. They were trying to achieve grandeur by boasting about their spiritual leader. Paul wanted them to focus on Christ alone and not on personalities. Who is Apollos, he said. Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field, he says. You are God's building. And he's not done because he continues. So don't boast about following a particular human leader for everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who've been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. 
In fact, Paul had such a generous and kingdom-minded heart that he wrote Titus, who was ministering on the Isle of Crete, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Although Paul himself had urgent ministry and personal needs, he was not going to ignore or prevent his fellow workers from receiving what resources they needed to spread the word of God. His singular desire was to have people step out of the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light. In the same way, we all need to be about kingdom business. The Regent University Center for Entrepreneurship explains kingdom business this way. Simply put, a kingdom business is God's business, managed God's way by God's steward for God's purposes in the world. Only born-again believers can operate kingdom businesses, and the business operations must be managed by the guidelines of the king, which are found in the Bible. Moreover, the products and services Services must be approved by the King Jesus. Thus, there should be no sin products. This business must be a platform for ministry where we demonstrate our salt and light to a dying world. Although this may seem to be related more specifically to the functions of companies, what's said here also relates directly to the relationships within and between churches. The role of both should be to support and promote God's purposes in the world. Jesus Christ, in his Sermon on the Mount, instructed us to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. We all, like Jesus, need to be about the Father's business, ensuring that the kingdom of God is realized in people's hearts, including our own, where we repent of our sins and let the Holy Spirit be in charge that Christ may be glorified and not ourselves. John the Baptist had the right attitude. When his disciples came to him concerned that many were leaving them and following Jesus, he was quick to set them straight. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and I must become less and less. John knew and understood his calling. He also knew his place and purpose, be a messenger for the Messiah. He was not jealous of Christ's ministerial success. It was meant to be for God's glory to be revealed. What about us? Are we concerned when others increase? Are we concerned when others succeed, especially if their success is greater than ours? Hopefully, we'll learn from the examples of Paul and John the Baptist. It's the message that matters, not the messenger. It's the expansion of God's kingdom that we need to seek, not our own. When we focus on this, jealousy will have no place in our hearts and we'll truly be able to do all things with pure motives that God may be glorified. God bless you, beloved. God bless you.